2: Hey, what's up, y'all? I'm Taryn Finley, a senior culture reporter at HuffPost, and this is, I know that's right, a weekly podcast about the latest in culture, entertainment, and trending conversations. Get comfy, because you already know where we're going, to that sweet spot where mainstream news and the wild west of internet culture collide from the news that makes us say, I know that's right to the mess that you know is dead wrong. I'm breaking down the week that was, and we've got so, so much to talk about. Then, as always, I'll bring in a guest for an in-depth conversation. This week, I'm talking to Black Twitter's favorite, Phil Lewis, about the alarming state of journalism and the rising misinformation that comes with that. This is I Know That's Right.
1: I know that's right.
2: All right, I'm back in y'all's ears for another episode. Let's not even waste any time. I got some news for y'all this week, per usual. starting with my I Know That's Right of the Week, which goes to Phaedra Parks on The Traders. Now, have y'all seen this? This show is, is quickly becoming one of my favorite reality shows. If y'all haven't, I need y'all to get into it ASAP. So just... To give you a little background, the show takes a group of reality stars from different shows. I'm talking Real Housewives franchises, Survivor, Big Brother, The Bachelor, just to name a few. Puts them all in this massive castle somewhere out in Scotland. And they compete for a cash prize doing these medieval time themed as missions it's it's so kooky i love it but what makes the show even more fun is that a small number of the people who are actually on the show are labeled as quote unquote traitors. everyone else who isn't a traitor is known as a faithful and the traitors are going around killing folks each episode, week after week. I mean, it, and they're doing it like stealthily. You get a letter in a seat, like per order of the traitors, you have been banished and you have been executed. And it, it's just, it's, it's very camp. It's so camp, y'all. I love it. But that's not it. Like the faithfuls, so they have to guess. They're trying to guess and eliminate a trader each week. For so, that we're in the second season. For the first few episodes of this season, they were just getting it all wrong. I mean, they're the faithfuls are eliminating other faithfuls, and they're just like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe we got rid of one of our own. The traitors are in the cut tee heeing being deceptive being just so sneaky they go back and forth until at the end one person is left standing taking the money and y'all this is what I call competitive reality tv they are getting in each other's heads being manipulative and it's just really great to see Phaedra Parks specifically on there, especially if you're a real Housewives of Atlanta fan, you know how Phaedra can read the girls, you know how Phaedra can get in people's heads, and you also know how Phaedra can keep a lie up, okay, (laughs) and Phaedra is a traitor, right, Folks in the house suspect that, but everyone who has tried to go after Phaedra has realized so quickly why Miss Parks is not the one to play with at all. Like literally she's been skewing shit to fit her story and she just won't die. Despite the fact that half the house is against her, she just cannot be killed. I love it. I hope she takes it all. I really hope she takes it all these past most recent three episodes have been better than honestly the past three seasons of Real Housewives of Atlanta. I like I'm I'm rooting for you, Phaedra. Like you, you can you can be some shit, and you have been some shit on that other show on on Real Housewives of Atlanta. And I'm happy to see you back on my screen via um, Married to Medicine. But this right here. This is the sweet spot for Phaser Parks. I love it. I-, I hope they bring her back for real for next season. I I I, I really need to see that. Now, onto something else that I watched recently, but I'm not as thrilled about this one, okay? I'm sorry. I uh <laughs> I-, I-, I gotta laugh for this one. This week, I have to ask: is that right about Tyler Perry's Mia Copa? I would say beautiful gowns, but what y'all did to Trevante Rhodes' hairline, I'm not going to forgive y'all about it. He deserves better. That fine man deserves better. So if you haven't heard of Mia Copa, it's Tyler Perry's latest film. It came out on Netflix last week. And despite the fact that Tyler Perry's most recent work, especially since, I I, I don't know. I I don't know when this began, but it, it feels like he's been putting out Putting out a lot of just stuff lately. He he sits in front of his fireplace and, and drinks a glass of Moscato a night and turns out a whole season of sisters and, and spinoffs to shows. And it's it's a lot. It's overkill. And it's been ranging from bad to aggressively mediocre. But because Kelly Rowland and Travante Rhodes were in the lead are in the lead roles for this movie, I had some hope of like, all right, all right, I I might enjoy this mess. I don't know if it's gonna be good. But I don't think it's gonna be that bad. I feel like I'm gonna enjoy it. Y'all. I wish I would have watched this movie on mute. <laughs> like, I really do. The plot had about as many holes as the damn ozone layer It's supposed to be this sexy thriller where Kelly Rowland is this successful lawyer having marital issues. Her husband doesn't work. He has an alcohol abuse problem and an overbearing mother who hates Kelly. And then Travante is this sex crazed artist who's on trial for killing his ex-girlfriend. And of course, Kelly as she reps him as as his lawyer and they have all the sexual tension that leads to that viral scene that y'all probably saw of them rolling around having sex in that paint. Let me let me go ahead and spoil it for you right now. That was the best part of the movie. That was the best part of the movie. Outside of that, it followed the standard Tyler Perry trope of this unhappily married black woman stepping outside of her marriage and being punished, suffering from some grave consequence or just flat out losing her mind. And in this in this instance, it was both. She lost her damn mind and damn near got killed. I told you, I do not care about the spoilers because it, 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 it was just... A lot. Uh, I'm all for black films having the space to be mediocre. Okay, so I, I don't want y'all to think like everything got to be excellent or good. Or, no, I, I do not. I'm not on that type of time. I'm the type of girl. I'll turn on a Tubi movie for the enjoyment. Okay, but we did not need two hours of Mia Coppa. Okay, I I still really don't know what the point of the movie was or the lesson or I i don't know i i don't know aside from looking at these two fine ass people on my screen i do not know what the point was we really could have cut this down to 80 minutes y'all also had me dying on online talking about some oh beyonce watched this (laughs) Because the thought, the thought of Beyonce in the theater watching Mia Copa is, is honestly hilarious to me. But anyway, I'm not saying don't check it out. All I'm saying is manage your expectations. And also maybe turn the volume down. Maybe turn it all the way down if you're going to watch it, okay? On to the last story. Y'all know I have to talk about the dead wrong of the week. That is Sean P. Diddy Combs, a.k.a. Brother Love, a.k.a. You Going to Jail. Okay, trigger warning for all those who don't want to hear about sexual abuse and assault. So for this story, producer Lil Rod has filed a lawsuit against Diddy accusing him of operating a racketeering enterprise, groping him forcing him to engage in sexual acts with sex workers and lacing alcohol for the guests in his home, including underage girls. Now, Lil Rod, whose real name is Rodney Jones, was a producer on Diddy's latest album, The Love Album. The Love Album came out late last year. Lil Rod said that he did and witnessed things that went beyond his working title, which included him accusing diddy of grooming sexually assaulting drugging and intimidating him now this is a 73 page lawsuit that accuses diddy of working Lil rod around the clock which led to the producer recording diddy his staff and his guests engaging in serious illegal activity diddy's son justin combs his chief of staff UMG CEO, and a former Motown CEO are all named as co-defendants in this lawsuit. Young Miami and Stevie J's name also appears in the lawsuit. Now, Diddy's lawyer told HuffPost that the claims were false and called Lil Rod a quote unquote liar. Lil Rod is the fourth accuser to come out since Cassie filed a lawsuit against Diddy late last year, accusing him of rape and abuse. It's past due time for Diddy's Fall From Grace, y'all. And we've been seeing it. We've been seeing this domino effect since the lawsuit that Cassie brought forward. It's really disheartening to see. At the same time, I am so hopeful that there will be a reckoning in the music industry because this is the same industry That has given diddy and people like him too much power to abuse to intimidate and to do whatever the hell they want for too long at the expense of people who are just trying to make it just trying to have a career just trying to live out their dreams it's sick and if you want to read more about this story definitely check out taylor mitchell's reporter if you want to read more about this story, definitely check out Taylor Mitchell's reporting on HuffPost. And of course, I'll be keeping track of how everything unfolds right here on I Know That's Right. Because, y'all, we, we got to talk about what this means in the grand scheme of things. We we really do. The, this this isn't a conversation that stops with Diddy. We need to have a conversation. So So be on the lookout for that. Okay. Be def- definitely be on the lookout for that. That's it for the headlines this week, but we still have so much to talk about. HuffPost's very own and the Black AP himself. Phil Lewis will be joining me in a few to talk about the information you should and shouldn't trust online, especially with this being an election year and all the journalism layoffs. Just keep rolling in. Keep it locked because more I know that's right is coming up. Welcome back to I Know That's Right, y'all. All All right, y'all, I'm going to cut to the chase here. Good journalism is in a really compromised place right now. From the L.A. Times to Condé Nast to Sports Illustrated, layoffs are happening left and right and whole outlets are folding. Vice announced that it would no longer be publishing on its news website. BuzzFeed News shut down last year. The D.C. is shut down last month. And many surviving outlets are struggling to keep the lights on. This is frightening, to be really frank about it. Not only for the future of journalism, but also just for all of us, period. And as newsrooms get on life support, misinformation gets more room to grow. That's so scary, but especially with 2024 being a major election year, it has the potential to impact how folks are voting and how we are approaching democracy period. Luckily we still have some amazing journalists doing the necessary work to cut through the noise and keep the world informed, including Mr. Black AP himself. He's Twitter's favorite and the reason why so many stories that usually would go under the radar make it to the top of your timelines daily, y'all already know who I'm talking about. Is HuffPost's very own front page editor, Phil Lewis. Hey, Phil, how you doing?
3: Taryn, thank you so much for having me on. You know, we've been working together for what seems like forever now, uh, and so it's good to have this conversation. Uh, we mean to talk for a minute, so this is great. <laughs>
2: Oh, Mm -hmm. absolutely. And, you know, we're going to get into it because, you know, first off, I have to give you your props for the amazing work that you do and have been doing. I know that, you know, you've been doing this for a while and I know that it's been thankless for a very long time, like so many journalists, but to see you get your flowers and to see how impactful you are. And your not only presence but your work has been in so many of us, so many of our lives, so many on so many of our timelines. Just making sure, like my mama know you, like folks, <laughs> grandmas know you. You know, like that. That that is just so significant. And, and I just, I just have to give you your flowers, feel because it, it really is just amazing to work alongside you.
3: Well, you know, it's 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 so interesting because. Whenever like some people actually sometimes will stop me and I don't like just stop me just walking around and I have no idea how they do this because my picture is literally just me kind of just like it's just, you know, the Twitter picture is so small that I'm like, how do you even know that this is me? (laughs) Because I think I have a very generic sort of black person's face. Like I could be your cousin. I could be your brother, you know, (laughs) so I don't even know how you would even recognize me. But it's just it, it really just goes to show that there's a thirst for for journalism, right? For 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 stories, uh, for for accuracy, right? Uh, in this in this age of misinformation, people are wondering where to go, where to turn, and I I really try to try to do this. I try to share stories from uh, people who I know are doing great work. Uh, I try to correct the records whenever you know correct the record whenever whenever I can. Uh, because our community, Black community, is very is disproportionately targeted by misinformation campaigns, disinformation campaigns, and so. Uh, look, I don't always, you know, I don't always get it right. No one, no one in this in this industry, you know, always gets it right. But what I think what separates us as journalists from from you know all these different sources of information that are out there is that we, you know, we try to get it right. And that and that's supposed keep
2: yeah absolutely and it and I think that's why and we're gonna get into all of that especially you know especially the misinformation um, among you know uh places where black folks usually get their news from um, in a minute but I want to start with you know the elephant in the room journalism is in a, a, a really um, compromising place right now. And it, as, as a journalist, it's really hard to see what's been unfolding honestly throughout our entire decade in media, but also, you know, it feels as of recently it's been ramped up to a, a, a different kind of level. Um, and, you know, there is fatigue seeing so much, so many layoffs, so many closures, so much, so many good journalists being let go and having that void get bigger and bigger, you know? Um, You know, I listed a few outlets up top, but can you explain for folks who may not really know what's going on or, or be privy to, to this news. What's really going on here? What are journalists experiencing right now? Every,
3: it feels like every day or every, every week there are layoffs, right? And, and obviously media is not, is not the only field that's, that's, that's going through this right now. It's tech, it's, it's all these other, all these other fields, but for our purposes, we'll talk about media. When you just look at, at the industry, I mean, you have you have layoffs, you have people being laid off. And and what's and what's worse is that people of color are disproportionately being laid off. Right. So when we look at the Los Angeles Times, for example, in an outlet that has a, a history of not, let's say not doing the best is coverage when it comes to its Asian communities, its, its Latino communities, uh, the, the very first people that were laid off were younger journalists. Uh, And these are disproportionately journalists who are of color. And so they shuttered their uh, Latino vertical. Uh, Their only, their only Asian, I think their only reporter covering Asian American issues was, was, was laid off as well. Uh, And that's, I mean, I don't have to tell you like how, how that can affect um, the communities that, that the Los Angeles Times reports to cover. So when you have issues like this, you have you have layoffs like this, um, you have AI, right? We have to contend with AI and what that means for our future. For example, you have Google News saying like, "Hey, actually, we're going to get rid of our news um, tab," <laughs> you know, or, or rather, we're we're considering we're toying with getting rid of our our um, news news tab to be more accurate. Uh, when you have these sorts of issues, they're all combining. In an election year, right, in an election year, all these things are happening and it's this, this confluence of, of different factors and stresses on the field that are really, really making it difficult for uh, journalists to to cover the stories that we find important. I mean, you have Vice, Business Insider, uh, BuzzFeed, right, <laughs> like our, our own parent company. Uh, all of these places are, are laying laying just hundreds of journalists off. And it's, it's really sort of a depressing thing to think about.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And you bring up a really good point about, you know, a lot of regardless of it's local or national, a lot of outlets have historically not done right by communities of color, you know, telling stories that may be laced in stereotypes or bias um, or just outwardly not telling our stories that need to be told or, or not seeing our stories as national um, news or priority or, you know, the uh, deserving that kind of attention when it came to um, like 2014, 2015, when the rise of black lives matter protests in, and, in um, and that movement really, Pushed And a lot of folks on Twitter and on social media urge these outlets to make sure that they were telling our stories and, and, and really, really leading the charge and making sure that like, Hey, y'all need to do better by our communities because we're seeing how you're reporting on Mike Brown and what you're calling him versus, you know, um, other stories that may deal with, you know, um, non-Black or or white teens. We saw more of an effort, it seemed like, for these companies, for The Times, for um, The Post, for, you know, even, you know, even BuzzFeed, HuffPost, we saw more of a push to make sure that the voices... Of not only marginalized journalists, but also just like that, that was a newsroom priority for these stories to be told, were there, right? But now, as kind of capitalistic constraints, budgets tighten, and all of these things kind of happen, it feels as if it's less of a priority. And like you said, you know, journalists of color over index when it comes to who is freelance versus who is actually on payroll at media companies. And so because of that, you have black journalists, you have Latino journalists, you have journalists who are fighting just to like survive and make a living and chasing well, we down. All, we
3: can't all be we can't all be freelancers, right? Like, and we can't
2: and we can't all. We we really can't all do that. Yeah, yeah. And it, because like that's a job within itself, that freelance struggle. Like, shout out to the freelancers because like y'all are doing amazing work and y'all don't get, you know, the just do that y'all deserve. But exactly. it, it, it really is disheartening to see so many people have to go that freelance route or even, you know, a lot of folks have just been pushed out of journalism. Like I I can't keep doing this. I'm going to go to marketing. I'm going to go to, you know, another career path that pays more and doesn't put on that much as, as much stress and, um, and strife as this industry does, you know, but it's like, Journalism is important, right? <laughs> and and it's like you shouldn't have to have that privilege in order to pursue this career path and tell those stories that need to be told, you know?
3: Yeah, well what what I what I'm really trying to pay attention to now are um worker-owned newsrooms, so like Defector, like Hellgate, uh Oh my goodness, 404 Media. These are these are newsrooms filled with journalists who have decided like enough is enough. I'm tired of the venture capital growth, growth imperatives. Like I'm, t- I'm tired of having to feel like I I can't write about this certain thing because some advertisers is going to get pissed somewhere else. Uh, these 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 newsrooms I think are creating a a path. It's still it's still pretty early, um, but there's they're creating a path forward for for us to you know really consider. For us to really consider. I think, you know, at, at the future as it stands right now, there's going to be the New York Times and CNN, and then there's going to be some other smaller outlets, and then there's going to be worker-owned outlets, and then there's just going to be a bunch of hyper, hyper-partisan, um, wildly right-wing <laughs> websites that are just kind of around, you know, around, floating around. Uh, and the, we have to find other other avenues, and I think those sorts of worker-owned outlets um, have have done things that we're able to kind of they, they they've been able to lay the foundation for for people to kind of view in the future, and is something that people should consider or, or journalists should consider uh, moving forward.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I and I love that you said that because I I have noticed that that you know that there's been a push in that direction, and you know for for those outlets, which is really refreshing, but then I also think about, you know, like we said, this is an election year and a lot of that foundation is, is being laid, but the masses are still going to, you know, the places that they know. And a lot of times, especially for folks of color, unfortunately, and I don't, I don't necessarily think that this is just to the fault of the audience, but also, you know, when you have, politicians going to the shade room and breakfast club. And that is where folks are mainly getting a lot of their um, information from as far as what's going on in this political year. It is concerning, you know, I'm wondering what your outlook on that is and, and what advice you would give to folks as far as divvying up their um I guess news diet, their media diet in this in this election year.
3: Yeah, well I think the very first thing people should do is find ways to support their local newsrooms. Uh, that's that's the most important thing that they can do. Uh, because no no matter how you feel about the, the national outlets, and I think that I think that folks division on 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 national outlets are, are just so wildly all over the place that I think at the very least you should read your your local outlets because they they're the outlets that are directly affecting you um, so those are the very first outlets that that you should start with as far as you know reading supporting whether that's supporting by just opening and clicking the link or or actually financially supporting or sending emails to the editor or letters to the editor uh anything like that it's 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 super it's super important because these newsrooms when they disappear they leave you in a news desert and you can't even you know you're, you're not you're, you're not able to find the news that is actually relevant to most relevant to you when it comes to giving up like the sort of media diet. Uh, I mean, I don't expect anyone to read as much as like, you know, myself or you, anybody, you know, they read as much as, as we do because this is, this is, uh, this is our, our field this is what we do. It, it's, it's, it's key to find not just newsrooms that that you're interested in, but also I think, support the reporters that you, are, you know, that are, are writing about things that you find interesting or things that um, you care about, because those reporters, uh, even if they get laid off, sometimes they will start, you know, newsletters or they'll start or they'll go other places or they're freelance. They can use your support as well. Uh, so having a, a very diverse media diet is, is so key right now. I'd also suggest not just reading one story from one source, but also reading reading The same story, but from another source, just so you can kind of see, like sometimes I like to fill in the gaps, like stories that are missing. Some a story can two journalists can write the same story, but or the the story that is about the same topic. Right. But it'll be it'll be different in in different ways. And sometimes I like to fill in those gaps. Uh, So I'd suggest that as well. There's so much out there, you know, as as we know, there's so much out there today uh, that you kind of have to sift through. Um, and we should be reading more. I, I say we should be reading more, not less, just so we can be fully aware of every, you know, where our, our, our pain points, right. Our, our, what we're missing, uh, and we can fill in those gaps.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Literacy is important. Media literacy is important. And, you know, I, I look at this, this year and I, I will say that I am fearful because I, it, Because even though it's important, it's not necessarily a priority when it comes to what folks are thinking of, you know, top of mind. Folks are, you know, just trying to survive and just trying to, you know, pay their bills. A lot of folks, like you said, you know, these layoffs aren't necessarily specific to or unique to, you know, um, journalism. And I know that, you know, People are not, you know, they're they're falling in line with the habits of survival, which, you know, I can't blame them. But it does make me wonder, you know, how do you foresee not only the layoffs, but also combined with the kind of current economic state that, you know, and, and pressures that we're all facing and the new ways that – folks are going to be misinformed this election cycle. I mean, I think of like AI and deep fakes and that is not something that we had to to deal with with the last presidential election cycle, but how um are you what are your thoughts on how that will impact 2024? Like do you have any any major concerns that stick out about that?
3: Yeah, so I'm definitely concerned about robocalls. Uh I mean, you have People that can create calls of—I of, think when it comes to AI-generated uh, content, we are are not—we're just—we're just not prepared uh, with how people can generate voices that sound similar to other people. Um, photos aren't quite there yet, but they're getting there. <laughs> they're getting there once they you know once they fix the fingers, <laughs> like fifteen fingers on one hand, and things like Those that. Those
2: fingers, uh, right? Yeah, give away.
3: What, but but the, the the issue is that these these technologies are evolving, right? And they're get, they're getting they're pulling in more and more information each day, and so I, I'm not sure if people are aware of how fast that these that these things are are evolving. So I'm I, I'm pretty concerned about AI, not just for what it can do to our field, but also what can you do to the political landscape, uh an already inflammatory, (laughs) inflammatory political landscape, like just sprinkle some AI in there, like salt bay or something, just sprinkle some AI in there. It's not gonna be good. (laughs) You know, it's not gonna be good. So we're already, like I said before, the black community and and um especially in in particular the Latino community, uh, who there's there's a language language barrier sometimes. Uh and then there's limited fact checking in the, the Spanish language, for example. We're we're most at risk to be uh, affected by you know robocalls and AI and all these sorts of things. So I, I really encourage people to double check their sources. If something seems strange or seems weird, then it might be <laughs> you, know, you, you know you can check that out. It might be you're able to check things uh, for yourself online as well. That's what you know. That's what Google's for. That's what Journalists before were able to find, get to the truth of these things, of these matters.
2: Absolutely. What are some of the red flags that you notice people just, just skimming over or overlooking when it comes to the information that they see online? I mean, of course, with AI, like the fingers are a dead giveaway. I think, you know, people have more recently been calling out, you know, the fact that you see, just because you see a big photo with, headline text does not mean that that is the actual fact that that's the actual story. But I'm wondering what are some of the big red red flags that you see folks overlook that, um, that people should be looking out for.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the main thing, the main thing is what it kind of has been for a while, which is, you know, just because somebody puts it in bold letters, doesn't make it true. Uh, And I think that even though we, we We know this, I think we we know this, and we understand it. most people aren't always aren't always thinking about okay, well, I'm gonna go and do my research <laughs> and see if this is true because it's it's already starting online it's got a million shares, so a million people couldn't be wrong. you know a million people couldn't be wrong about sharing it it so it has to be true right uh and then also you have the uh, on on X Twitter, I'm gonna just keep calling it Twitter. On yeah. Twitter, there's there's uh, there's the uh, um, corrections that go under under people's tweets. Sometimes those aren't the added context. Sometimes don't those aren't quite right. The correction notes. Sometimes those aren't quite right. Like we can actually vote those. We can upvote those and downvote them. Uh, so even those are not always accurate. So. All in all, it just comes to being, just being a bit cautious about what you see online. We should always, you should always do this. Just because something is being shared a billion times doesn't automatically make it true. You know, it's it's not always great to be first in sharing something. That's that's what we learn. You know, <laughs> in in our field, we learn that. Uh, but now, because everybody has a platform and everybody can share things, um, there are people who are would much rather be, you know, first. And also another issue with social media is that uh, there's no incentive for people to remove things from online, you know, from online or or delete things like for you or myself. We that we'd have an issue of correction. uh, We'd have to remove it. But for these different blogs and different platforms, there's no incentive, you know, to remove things like you or I. We just, you know, we get fired or something. (laughs) But but there's no there's no. Set of ethics that holds these platforms together, like, especially you
2: know, especially if the post is performing well, because you know I, I know that X X and TikTok both you know um, you know pay creators yeah. for posts that perform well.
3: Yeah, you can get paid, right? And so there's there's like why would I? I mean there's 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 no one if if I'm if I'm putting myself in the shoes of whoever owns these you know these different blogs, why why should I remove something that You know, was getting paid. So what? Like that? You know, people will find out. You know, or you know, people will find out later. Or yeah, there's there's no there's no shared set set of ethics that people are you know these people are beholden to. And so that's that's one of the issues.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You've been in this media game for about a decade, which. It's it's crazy. It's crazy to think about. We we both have have been, you know, here chugging along for for 10 years or so. What has been one of your biggest revelations in working in this industry as far as what keeps you here? Because a lot of times it can it it's hard. Yeah, it can can be. Excruciating work, but but what is that for you that that keeps you in media?
3: Yeah, as so well. Wow. I mean, you and I—we've been at HuffPost for wow a while now, um, which is almost unheard of in digital media now. <laughs> you know, to be at one to be at one newsroom, I would say that I I do feel as though because I've been able to build this sort of platform that it I do feel like an obligation to continue to share these stories. I enjoy what people tell me uh that they wouldn't have known about this story or or this story because that that's the whole point that's what we're trying to do we're we're trying to inform people and we need we need less uh we need more sources of information uh not less uh more sources of factual information uh and and stories and that's all I really try to do uh when I'm sharing other, you know, other stories from other journalists or when I'm writing my own stories. That's the whole point. And that's what really keeps me in in this whole, you know, in this game. I mean, it's 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 tough, as you said. You know, we lose colleagues almost every every week now at this point. Uh, but we just sort of have to keep going until the until the lights are just totally off. Uh and that's you know, that's what we've decided to do.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I have to ask this because I feel I don't know when you sleep. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like you're just working around the clock. Can you just break down what a day in a life looks like for you as far as what you're looking at and what you're looking for um, in the news?
3: Being a front page editor at HuffPost, it makes it, it makes what I do very, I'd I'd say, maybe simple is not the, not quite the right word, but it, it really helps in, in sourcing stories because what our particular role is, is to find stories and surface them and make sure that the reporters are, you know, aware of what, what stories are happening. Um, So I'm seeing stories from all, all over. A big part of the job is news judgment, because I can't I can't share every single story, right? Like that, I can't share every story that happens. So I have to consider what stories are of most of most interest to the people who are reading, kind of like my, my Twitter account or my newsletter or anything like that. I mean, a, a normal day, it it really just depends on the level of. News that I guess, that's happening uh, during the day, uh, but no, I, I mean, I sleep, I sleep pretty, I sleep pretty well, I'd say, I sleep pretty well, or I try, <laughs> But I, I, I mean, I have notifications from nearly, I mean, almost all sorts of uh, news news outlets. My timeline is tailored to surface newsmakers and people who uh, share stories and journalists, so I'm able to see those as well. Uh, and then I use lists. I still utilize lists on Twitter as well, so I'm able to see a lot of different uh, places, you know, news news outlets all over the country. I I made a list um, called U.S. News Outlets, and I have at least one newsroom from every state uh, in it, so I can see pretty much everything that's happening that way. So yeah, it, it really just honestly just comes down to news judgment um, and just being aware that. I can't share every story, so let me make sure that the stories I am I am sharing have some sort of an impact. But I don't only share those stories. I like to share, you know, fun stuff too, because otherwise I just go crazy. Yeah,
2: yeah, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's it. It already feels like we're losing our minds in uh in this in this industry a lot of times. So you got to have the fun. You got to have have the levity in those stories, and we appreciate you. For that, um, you already shared a little bit about where you see this industry going, but I'm wondering what your hopes for it are.
3: Yeah, so my hopes for it are more worker-owned outlets for sure, because especially right now. I think that there's, you know, the 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 thing about all these layoffs. If if there's if there's any good thing to be found in in this horrible time, is that there's a lot of talented people who are just out there. They're just out there now. You know, so many, so many talented journalists. Some of them are banding together and creating their own outlets. And and they're doing amazing things that way. Others are, you know, becoming awesome freelancers and are, are doing things that way. Others are creating newsletters. Others are, others are creating um, video well, like YouTube content. So there's, there's so much talent out there. Uh, my hopes for the future is that, Journalists are able to come together and create more of these worker-owned outlets that aren't beholden to venture capital and hedge funds and these you know CEOs and all these people, um, but they're able to actually do the journalism that is most important to them, or, or write the stories that are important to them, write the stories that are important to their communities, and also just more unions. You know, unions in particular. When people consider, when people think about unions. You know, when they when they think about unions, they think about hard hats. They think about construction. They think about auto. But I think this year, last year, this this time frame, people have have shifted their ideas about what a union should look like. It can look like writers. Right. That's what we saw with Hollywood, Hollywood strike. Um, it can look like writers. It can look like editors. We're all, all of these different uh, fields and, and ways of work can all fall under uh, the unionization efforts. So. Those are the two things that I think are most important. I
2: have a quick pivot to a rapid fire that I want to throw at you. First off, what's getting you through the week?
3: Uh, What's getting me through the week? Uh, I look forward to my Pilates every week. I (laughs) Uh, I started Pilates. Yeah, maybe the beginning of last year. I've done about 150 classes so far um, because I wanted to find something outside of uh, work that I could just do and just commit like some time to. Uh, So I do about two or three classes every week. And it's just my, it's my thing. Like, I just like, I like it. I love that
2: so much. Phil, no, let me tell you, because you're the reason I started Pilates.
3: Okay. Yes. Oh, for my conversation. Yep.
2: Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. When you yep. told me, because when you told me that, I said, "Okay, let me let me see what this is about." And I haven't I haven't been in a while because I um, started taking pole classes. But mm. I, Pilates, it helped me rehabilitate an injury that I had like so quickly, and it just though those little like. Micro muscles that you don't even know that you use or that are there. Yeah. Like you just, you just strengthen them. Pilates is the truth, y'all. Phil, uh, Phil ain't lying, and Lori Harvey ain't lying either. <laughs> <laughs>
3: <Reformer. laughs> they do the reformer, y'all. It's
2: okay. Um, what's one thing that you know is right?
3: One thing that I know is right. Um, I know that grits and salt is right. Grits and sugar ain't right.
2: It ain't. It ain't. Mm-hmm. Let them know. Okay, look.
3: That's the, right. the
2: mm-hmm. mid The Midwest way. Okay.
3: <laughs> yes. Exactly. Like the the fish and spaghetti. That's right. You know that's the Midwest way. Come on. Now. You
2: uh, You know, but I my family didn't do too much of fish fish and spaghetti. It was it yeah. was my my whenever I visited my friends homes and all that. I'm like, okay, all right. I, I ain't like, mad at no that. One. <laughs> I ain't mad at that. I know uh my, my homegirl yeah. from from Chicago. She she oh, lives in Chaskety. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> um how can folks support not only you? I mean they know where to find you, but also your newsletter. How can folks support, find, drop all of all of the things that, that you that you want to plug.
3: Yeah. So my newsletter is, is just what I'm reading.net. Um, it's it's so it's free. Uh just because I, I just I just wanted people to just find some place that they could go and and find these stories that are important to them. Is is particularly aimed at the black community because of what I said, we're targeted for these misinformation, disinformation disinfo- campaigns. And it it I just wanted to be sort of a balance between. Uh, these, you know, these different blogs and outlets that are posting all sorts of all sorts of things. I wanted to have it act as a counterweight uh, as, you know, here's some stories that you can find that are, you know, you might you may find important. You may find interesting. You might find fun. Uh, so, yeah, it's just what I'm reading.net. It's, it's totally free to sign up and, you yeah.
2: know. Make sure y'all subscribe. I look forward to your um, newsletter every week. I think last week for last week's episode, I sourced one of the stories that I talked about um, up top yes. from your newsletter. so you know, awesome. it just just feel I can't say enough how important it is that you're doing this work and that you're you know you you are providing this space and such credible information such credible journalism good journalism for all of us so man shout out to you 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 you, you the
0: truth
3: hey listen thank you i appreciate you um bringing me on your platform it's awesome i, I can be like hey i was on the podcast that Usher was on <laughs> <laughs> so so you know so this is this is this is great i, I really thank you so much
2: All right, y'all, that is the show. Huge thank you to Phil. Shout out to you for coming by and shout out to y'all for listening. As always, I want to know what y'all want to hear on the show. So if there's a topic or story that you want me to explore, hit me up at underscore tearing it up. And don't forget to follow at IKTRPOD on Instagram and TikTok. This show is produced by ACAST and recorded right here in Brooklyn. Until next time, bye y'all.